Acts chapter 19. Uh, if you're at Acts chapter 19, go straight up your page, I guess, or to the left. And we're going to go to ch chapter 18, starting in verse 24. Okay? Uh, this was a one-part message that I started last week and didn't get through all of. So if you weren't here last week and you're here this week, this is the Holy Spirit saying, I made Jared talk extra long just so you could hear this. So um, I don't know, when those kinds of weird things happen, I, I pay special attention to what the Lord's doing. So here we go, starting at verse 24 of Acts chapter 18, so just above chapter 19. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. And he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he taught accurately the things the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Acacia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So, like I said, this is the second part of a message we started last week. They're online if you want to check them out. But uh, we talked through all of this. Who Aquila and Priscilla were, who Apollos was, what the doctrine of John was. Uh, and the quick dummies version of this was uh, the baptism of John. We went through it. We looked at all the scriptures last week. But it was basically repent, so turn around, because uh, Jesus is coming. So it was basically this message of, hey, you guys could do some, some better things. You need to try a little bit harder. Uh, that's basically what uh, Apollos was preaching. And Aquila and Priscilla pulled him aside and were like, hey, actually, you're missing some stuff here, man. You're, this is actually a better way to phrase the understanding of what Jesus came to do. And we talked about how incredible it was that Apollos received correction and feedback from Aquila and Priscilla. Like, we're humans, man. We don't do anything. Even when we drive terrible, right? Like, we're, like, changing lanes without blinkers and stuff like that. We justify it in our minds, right? So when someone honks at us, we're like, get off me, right? Like, you always never, always never. That's not the way you say it, but... We do this thing where we just don't receive feedback. We don't receive correction uh, in any instance of our lives, not very well, at least. And so highly educated, well-spoken, eloquent, successful person like Apollos receiving this type of correction from Aquila and Priscilla is pretty incredible. And we do this thing, we talked about it last week, where we admit that we have blind spots, but we almost never receive correction like we actually have blind spots. And maybe even worse, we never even plan on investing in the type of relationship or the time that it would take to get this type of feedback and correction. Uh, and so that's where we ended last week. And I took a poll last week because uh, we were going to talk about feedback and correction and how these relationship works. And uh, everybody in last week's sermon uh, said that they don't have it all right and they all have blind spots. So we're going to finish the rest of this message talking about how we would address the blind spots that we have. So if you're a perfect person, you should have been here last week. Then you could have voted and we would have gone with the other message where perfect people give other people feedback. But we're going to talk about how imperfect people who have blind spots are actually going to receive feedback this morning. So uh, it's your own fault if you weren't here last week. Here we go. Chapter, nine verse, chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened, now this story is going to be very similar. You'll see the similarities as we go. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, 
Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all, and he entered the synagogue, and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So, another story. These guys are in Ephesus, so they were probably taught by Apollos when he first got there. Apollos then left, went over to Corinth. Paul shows up to Ephesus, and just like Apollos didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit, but was just preaching the baptism and repentance of John, these guys don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. So, Paul says, hey, what did the Holy Spirit do in your hearts when you believed? And they said, Holy Spirit, what are you talking about? And he's like, uh-oh, right? And so that's the connection of these two stories. Both of these people had no idea about the Holy Spirit. Both of these stories received correction from other people. Both of these stories were missing huge pieces. And so here's where I want to draw the connection. We have two stories in a row here where believers, believers, these are people who believe in Jesus, are trying to follow Jesus, but their blind spot is that they're missing not just a piece but the biggest piece, the Holy Spirit. Number two, we have two stories where the method God uses to correct these people is by bringing other believers into their life to give them feedback and correction. Number three, we have two stories in a row where this works out for the good, not only for those who are corrected, but for the people in the region where this is all taking place. So that's it. We're going to hit those three things, uh, and we're going to finish this sto the study this morning. One at a time. Some of you might be sitting here thinking, okay, Jared, you got me. I have some blind spots somewhere. Uh, but in your mind, you think like I think that your blind spot is some like inconsequential little quirk, right? I got a blind spot. I don't, I don't put the toilet seat down all the time. You got me, <laughs> you know? That's what we think, right? When I say, who's got blind spots? We all go, we all have blind spots. But we all in the back of our minds think that our blind spots are really small and not really that big a deal. Because if they were really giant, we would know about them. That's just not what we see in the Bible. There's two stories in a row where godly, dedicated, devoted, good-hearted Jesus followers are missing not just a piece, the biggest piece, the Holy Spirit. Like, their blind spot is not just like, oh, yeah, like, I don't read my Bible every day. I only do it, like, twice a month, you know. Like, no, no, the Holy Spirit is missing. Like, that's a huge piece, a huge piece. And we, we do this thing, we're like, I would never have that big a blind spot. I would know. No, no, the definition of blind spot is that you wouldn't know. Right, that's... I was reading an article this week. It was like tailor-made Holy Spirit illustration, right? This girl goes to a hockey game in Seattle. 
and this girl is training to be in medical school, so she has kind of like a medical background, is interested in that type of thing. And the equipment manager for the visiting team is right in front of her. She's sitting right behind the glass, and she's watching this guy go about his job, and she notices a mole on his neck that she, because she knows what she's looking for, identifies as cancerous. So she writes on her phone because there's this thick glass between her and them. It's loud. It's a hockey game. So she writes this message on her phone, puts it in big font, and holds it up to the glass, and then bangs on the glass. And he looks, and he turns around, and she bangs on the glass. It's like, (laughs) and so the guy looks at the message, and it says, the mole on your neck is cancerous. Please go see a doctor. And he is annoyed, right? Because he doesn't, I don't have a mole on my neck, right? And I'm watching the interview later of this guy, and he's like, not only was I a little bit annoyed, I didn't think I had a mole on my neck, and, like, who are you, like, checking out my neck, lady, right? Like, I'm just trying to do my job. So he, like, reads it, and he's like, hmm, and, like, keeps going, like, doing his thing, like, whatever hockey equipment managers do. I don't know. So he goes through this whole thing, and then after the game, he goes up to the team doctor, and he says, you know what, like, is there a mole on my neck? And the, they look, the doctor's like, ooh, yeah, that doesn't look good. So he goes to the doctor. Sure enough, it's skin cancer. They remove it. The guy's like, man, this is really like a blessing that we found it so early. Like if you would have let that go for another five years, you'd be dead, right? And what's crazy about this is right out in broad daylight for everybody to see was this thing that would have killed this man Absolutely, he had no idea it was there. And everybody walking behind him would have seen it. And the people who knew what they were looking for would have been like, hey, that's going to kill you. And he had no idea. And this is what we do with our blind spots. We think they're no big deal. And they could be a really, really big deal. The second thing is, that's kind of crazy about this story, when somebody in kindness pointed it out, like his response was completely inappropriate. Right? When somebody around was like, hey, that's cancer. I'm trying to help you. He was like, why are you looking at my neck? I don't have a mole. Right? He's probably like self-conscious, like puts his thing up. Right? Like, quit looking at me. Right? When actually it was the best possible thing that somebody was looking for him. So we talked about it last week that these guys were operating on an understanding of God that basically said, try and be a better person. Right? This was the baptism of John. Repent confess. It said that everybody was going out to John confessing and repenting and being baptized. And, and so this was kind of their understanding of like, hey, follow Jesus, try to do better, try to honor God, try and be a better person. The problem is be a better person and be led by the Holy Spirit are very different messages. Those are not the same message. Because if I tell you, hey, you guys all should be better people. You're going to walk out those doors and and do a certain set of things. I don't know what it's going to look like for you. Maybe you're going to try and quit something. Maybe you're going to try and do something new. Maybe you're going to eat better, exercise. I don't know what it is. But if I tell you, be led by the Holy Spirit, you're going to walk out those doors and do something very different. Like those aren't the same messages. And so if you're thinking you're doing it right, you have this huge blind spot because you're just trying to be a better person. But here's the thing. It's entirely possible to be not only a good person, but even try to be a better person without the Holy Spirit. That can happen. Here's a way you could think about it. Ask yourself the question, if the Spirit of God was removed from my life, what would look different? 
right? If the Holy Spirit was just gone, what would change about the way I live my life? Let's just say last week, right? You know how your day went, your week went last week. What if last week the Holy Spirit had been removed? What would have changed? What if the Holy Spirit was like, hey, I'm taking a week off, sabbatical, right? He just removed. What would have been different? There's probably some stuff that if the Holy Spirit was gone, it wouldn't make a lot of sense, right? Reading my Bible is just really a bummer, so I didn't do it, right? Prayer was just weird, right? But, uh, conviction, confession, repentance, probably wouldn't make much of an effort to make it to church or spend time with the people of God or any sort of like praying for other people, right? Probably wouldn't spend much time with other believers in these spiritually fruitful conversations, right? All those things probably would have changed, and then, and this is where it gets a little bit scary, maybe there's parts of our lives that wouldn't have changed at all. Maybe that conversation you had would have gone the exact same because the Holy Spirit wasn't in it anyway. Maybe that thing you watched on TV would have gone the exact same because the Holy Spirit wasn't in it anyway. Maybe that time you spent in entertainment and recreation wouldn't have changed one bit. Maybe the friendships you have wouldn't have been any different if the Holy Spirit was gone. Maybe the thing you looked at on your computer screen, the conversation you had with your wife, the way you disciplined your kids, the relationships you had at school, maybe they wouldn't change at all. Is it fearful to anybody else that we could have that type of blind spot? It's scary to think that these two stories are telling us that there are believers in Jesus that are living their lives completely without the Holy Spirit and don't even know it. Please see this. Apollos and these 12 men were church-attending, Bible-reading, theology-understanding, committed followers of Jesus, but they were just trying to be better people, and the Holy Spirit was absent. And that's, that's not the message of the gospel. Wait, 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 Jared. Are you telling me that the Holy Spirit doesn't want me to be a better person? Is that what you're telling me? You're telling me the, the Holy Spirit just wants me to be a bad person? Well, I'm not. But I'm telling you, you don't need to have the Holy Spirit to want to be a better person. Just wanting to be a better person is not a sign that the Holy Spirit is in you. Lots and lots of non-believers want to be better people, right? This is a common misunderstanding. Very often people come to church or have a conversation or experience where they have some sort of spiritual thought about God and in themselves they feel something. And in that feeling, they kind of know they should do better. And they think because they had that feeling, because they know that they should probably do better, than they are doing, that is probably a sign that they are good with God. Yeah, like I thought about church, I thought about spiritual things, and I was out looking at the sunset, and like I just had this, oh man, like I just kind of know I should do better, and like there's a God, and like I'm kind of responsible to him, and like that feeling is somehow a sign that we're good, or that feeling is somehow a sign that the Holy Spirit's in you. It's just not true. Knowing you should be doing better is not a sign of the Spirit. Almost every New Year's resolution ever made is about being a better person than you were the year before, and it doesn't have anything to do with the Holy Spirit. You don't need the 
Holy Spirit to eat better or lose weight or watch less TV or save money or learn guitar or any of the stuff that people are trying to do right now. People who are gym goers hate this time of year because everybody's in the gym right now. You know, and I don't think it was just like January 1st, the Holy Spirit's like, these people are fat. I'm going to start telling them to get it. No, that's not what happened, right? We're trying to be better people apart from the Holy Spirit. Wanting to be a better person is not proof that the Holy Spirit is in you. Yes, the Holy Spirit does want you to be a better person, but here's where we get our wires crossed. You and the Holy Spirit usually disagree on what it looks like for you to be a better person. You want to be a better person, and you think, I'm going to read more in 2022. And the Holy Spirit wants you to be a better person, and he's telling you, stop being dishonest with your wife. And we're like, ah, that's really hard. So we end up with a lot of New Year's resolutions about people who are going to eat better, and not a lot of New Year's resolutions about people who are going to confess more sin. Okay, Jared. So if perhaps I had a friend who listened to this message and they were a little bit convicted that maybe the Holy Spirit wasn't in their lives as much as maybe it could be, what should I tell my friend to do about this? I just want to be a good friend to them. And if they were thinking that, like, the Holy Spirit was absent from a significant portion of my friend's life, and they potentially had blind spots, how would I approach my friend about blind spots? You know, if God wanted to speak to my friend in that sort of a way, how would he bring it to their attention? It's a great question. We have two stories here that pointed out. We see two different groups of people in these stories. Both know the word of God very well. Both consider themselves believers in and followers of Jesus. Both are committed to the word of God and Jesus. And both aren't led by the spirit. And here's where we need to lean in. And other believers correct them. Other people speak into their lives in order to point out what needs to be corrected. You see that? Like other Christians who love Jesus and love them pull Apollos aside. Hey, man, you kind of got this wrong. Paul is hanging out with these guys. They're eager to hear the word of God. And he's like, you don't know the Holy Spirit? Like what? Here's, okay, you guys got this way wrong. Here's, they point out the blind spots and offer correction. Now, this doesn't just happen, okay? You can't just walk into a church and be like, tell me where my blind spots are. I mean, you can, but... Good luck, right? That's not going to work well. You have to have these types of relationships in the first place, right? There's got to be some things in place, and these types of relationships have to take place. The Bible talks all over the place about the way God has a special blessing on the relationships between believers, and then the Bible actually says, confess your sins to one another. That's actually in the Bible, right? I know we don't do that, but that's in here, right? Most Americans... And most adults in America don't have any friends. No real friends, right? And that doesn't change when you come into the church. So most people invest minimal time in these types of relationships. And then even if you're like, I have friends, maybe you do have some friends who are believers, but we would absolutely never confess or repent to them, let alone receive correction from them. People just don't have these types of relationships in their life. 
They don't. So the first problem is we don't have these types of people in our lives. Or the second problem is if we do have these kinds of people who love us and love Jesus, we don't ever make space for this type of conversation. We would never have a place where it was appropriate to receive any type of feedback or correction. Again, the Bible actually says, confess your sins one to another. And we read that, we're like, I'm not doing that. Confess your sins one to another. Yeah, where's the part about Jesus loving me? Again, I don't need that. Confess my sins one to another. Who does that? That's weird, right? I don't, I don't need that. I'm not doing that. We don't ever plan on addressing blind spots or confessing sin or receiving feedback or correction at any time in our lives. And if we never plan on it, we talked about this last week, how's it going to get done? How's it going to, if you never plan on that happening, I never plan on anybody giving me any sort of correction or feedback or helpful thought. It's never going to get done. If the Bible says confess your sins one to another, we all admit we have blind spots that we can't see, that other people can't see, but we live a life where we never plan on confessing sin or receiving feedback. What do we expect? We get what we expect. We live in a world where people only confess when they get caught or they only receive feedback when their lives are a complete wreck. That's how we live. Welcome to America, both inside and outside the church. We're going to pretend like it's all okay until it's burning down around us. That's it. That's the only time. And the third thing that needs to happen is not only do we have these types of relationships or make time in these types of relationships, we need to give these types of people permission to give us feedback. I ask my son sometimes, like, hey, what do you think about this? And if I tell him, what do you think about this? He's like, you're kind of impatient. I'm like, no, I'm not impatient. He's never going to give me feedback again. He's never, it's, and, and we, we, even if we by chance beat the statistics that we have good friendships and then, you know, we by chance make time for these types of deep conversations, then what happens when these people actually give us corrective feedback? Or the Holy Spirit uses them to point out a blind spot in our lives. Do they have permission to do that? Or are we going to freak out? Most of us live lives where we have given absolutely nobody permission to give us critical feedback. There's no Aquilas and Priscilla's in our lives that we have given permission to speak correction and truth into our lives. And maybe you're thinking like, oh, my wife can give me feedback. Not usually. Right? And if by chance she, she finally can, that's great. That's a start. I'm not diminishing that. But you and your wife also probably have some of the exact same blind spots. We talked about this last week. Right? Everybody knows the couple and their thing is or their blind spot is or their, right? So you, it's great that you're like, hey, I'm married to a person that can give me feedback or I have a friend that can give me feedback. But there's a very good chance that if that circle is very, 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 very small, like one person, you have similar blind spots to that person. Okay, Jared, I hear what you're saying. Maybe I'm not perfect, but I'm not confessing my sin to anybody. And I'm not giving them permission to give me corrective feedback. Because if God really wanted to get my attention, he'd just tell me. He's got my number. He didn't, I don't need to get other people involved. I don't know these people. 
I'm not trusting these. They're going to say weird stuff, and I'm not telling them what's going on in my life. He could. God could just one-on-one speak to you and then just keep you separate and never have to involve other people, but that's just not what we see in the Bible. God God could have given Apollos a vision, but he didn't. Right? God could have spoken to Apollos in the still small voice, right, during his prayer time, but that's not what happened. God could have convicted Apollos' heart during a time of personal Bible study, where he's just home early in the morning, cup of coffee, and it was just conviction because he was like reading through, you know, the book of Genesis, and he's like, oh man, I don't think. And he could have repented and self corrected without anyone knowing he had a blind spot, but that's not what God did. And that's not how God usually works. In the Bible, God's preferred method of correcting his people is through his people. That's how God usually works. That's how God usually, that's how he chose to work. Right? He's like, I got this plan. Like, I'm going to reveal my goodness to people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change their lives. I'm going to give them a hope and a future. And it's like, how are you going to tell people about that? I'm going to use other people. What? Why don't you just do us one-on-one? And like, you can just tell me, and then I don't have to involve all these like broken, sinful people. That sounds messy. I just like to stay clean and be a good person. It's just not how God chose to do it. Right? If you're looking for the online sermon watching Lone Ranger, hurry to the parking lot, the woods is my church, Jesus follower, he's not in your Bible. I'm sorry. He's just not in there. There's, there is none of that in here. You cannot live the life God intended for you apart from the people of God. And, and you're sitting there going like, I'm not doing any of this, what you're saying, Jared. I'm not making time or investing in the relationships or asking for feedback or expecting to receive correction. And I'm just telling you, we just read two stories where this is exactly what God did. Right? The connection to the people of God is what produced the repentance and correction and freedom in Apollos and these 12 men's lives. And God could have done vision, dream, personal conviction, Holy Spirit, prayer time, any of this stuff one-on-one, but he didn't. He chose to use people who loved God and loved these people and corrected them within the community of believers. And look at this as we close. And, And... Please, please, please see this. Because I know my heart, and I just I resist this type of correction and feedback at every turn, even though I'm the preacher. I'm the one that spent two weeks studying it. Maybe that's why we didn't get done last week. God's like, you need to think about this for another week, Jared. Like, you're not good at it. We have two stories in a row where this works out for the good of not only those who are corrected, but for the sphere of influence where this is all taking place. Okay? Two stories in a row. Apollos receiving correction leads to, in verse 27, people being greatly helped in the church in Corinth. Let me say it again. Apollos receiving correction leads to a blessing for the church in Corinth. Okay? So let that sink in for a second. Let's say, picture this. There's a guy in Corinth Okay, he's struggling. Like, his name's Stan. Stan is in Corinth. He's like, God, help. I need help. 
this is, I'm struggling. I need your hand. I need to be reminded of your goodness. I need strength. I need hope. Just help me. Please help me. And, and just when life is getting the best of Stan, and he's thinking, God, I just need you. And what he doesn't know is his help is coming. As soon as Apollos humbles himself and receives feedback and correction from Aquila and Priscilla. In the second story, we have something very similar. It says the city of Ephesus and the entire region of Asia receive a blessing as a result of these 12 men being corrected by Paul on their understanding of the Holy Spirit. When God does this and uses his people to correct his people, when this happens and repentance takes place, there's this sphere of influence that is positively affected. It's not just you. Right? There's a whole world around you that like the grace like splashes onto. Corinth is blessed because Apollos has God relationships and repented. Ephesus is blessed because these 12 men had God relationships and repented. It's very possible the city of Spokane could be waiting on a blessing because the believers in this city won't build these kinds of relationships, receive correction, confess, and repent. It's very possible that if we invested in this type of thing that we see in the scriptures, our city would be blessed. Maybe that's too big of a scope for you to grasp, so maybe let's bring it down another notch. Forget the city, let's just go address. If I repent, the people who live in my home Receive the blessing for my investing in these type of relationships, confessing and repenting. Do you get that? Do you get that? Here's what I'm saying. It's very possible that people in this room have families and households that are suffering because we have resisted what God is trying to do in our lives and not invested in relationships with other believers with the intention of confessing and repenting. Megan and I have met with wives, not countless wives, but lots and lots of people that have begged for their husbands to have real friends that would encourage them to follow Jesus and expose blind spots in their lives. I sometimes I wish as a pastor I could just like encapsulate like a, a certain little experience to like show you guys all, but I could just... I can picture wives just being like, my husband won't. He just won't receive correction from anybody. He doesn't have any real friends. He doesn't have anybody that he'll listen to. Most husbands just refuse to do it. They won't make the time to do it. Kids don't know it, but their lives would be drastically changed for the better if their parents invested in relationships with other godly couples. Like, kids don't know how big of a blessing they are missing out on because their parents are not investing in relationships where honesty and confession and repentance take place and the Holy Spirit is at work. I spent 10 years as a ski instructor in one of the most expensive ski resorts in the country. And I was a kid ski instructor, right? So I'm hanging out with these kids and these families for hours and hours and hours during a day, sometimes like seven days in a row, I'm hanging out with these kids. 
right? And what I know about this, these very rich, very wealthy people, is 99% of the time, their kids don't need another ski trip. Their kids need parents who love God and are led by the Spirit. Like, I'm hanging out with these kids for a week, and at the end of it, I'm like, you know what? They need to go to a beach somewhere. No, they need a dad who loves Jesus and is pursuing God with all of his heart and has men around him that are speaking into his life and exposing his blind spots. Because I've been with your kids for six days and you have giant blind spots that they all see that you don't see and you won't make time to address them. I have people in my life that my son needs to tell me where my blind spots are. And these men have permission to ask me if I've been impatient with my son or if I've spoken to him in anger or I'm, I'm too proud to, to address these things, right? If I've allowed some sexually inappropriate material into my household that's coming from my son's soul. Toby needs Ben to ask me. He needs it. He doesn't know that, right? But he needs it. There's such a blessing waiting for him if I'll humble myself and repent and listen and invest in these relationships. Like it, I, What am I going to tell Toby? Hey, man, you're going to have to live with an impatient, angry, idolatrous dad because I'm too proud and too busy to make time for or give permission to anybody to speak into my life. But we'll go skiing a lot. My kids don't know it, but it's the best possible for thing for them and their lives and our family and for their mom and their dad to make time for the Holy Spirit to work through other believers and reveal our blind spots. If you're a kid in here, just ask your parents. Do you make time for this? Just ask them. Who's the people who have permission to point out your blind spots? Do you ever plan on that happening? Just ask them. Later on, the Bible will describe the people of God, the community of Jesus followers. It will call it the body of Christ. And, and the point of calling it the body of Christ is to illustrate the essential connectedness of the people of God as the Spirit works through them in the world. It says, Jesus followers saying he doesn't need another Jesus follower is as stupid as an eye saying to the foot, I don't need you. Right? If your eye is like, I can see everything just fine. I don't need you feet. Then feet are like, you're going to be sitting in your living room for a long time. You're not going to be seeing much different. Right? That's stupid. Right? The Bible, that's why it points it out. The Bible's like, we're like a body. And if one piece of the body is like, I don't need the rest of the body, that's ridiculous. Right? The hand doesn't get to say to the heart, like, I don't need you. Heart's like, good luck with blood flow. Right? Like, it's an absolute ridiculous idea, and it's supposed to be ridiculous. Look how connected all of this is. Paul needs a place to stay. Aquila and Priscilla let him stay. 
and work. Paul plants a church in Corinth, Aquila and Priscilla then get taught by Paul, then they move to Ephesus, Apollos then preaches in Ephesus, people get saved, but they don't know about the Holy Spirit, so Aquila and Priscilla, who were taught by Paul, now correct Apollos, and then Apollos goes back to Corinth, where Aquila and Priscilla and Paul just were, and planted a church, and then Paul comes back to Ephesus and preaches to the people who were taught by Apollos in Ephesus and didn't know about the Holy Spirit. It's like all connected, inside and outside. Like, this is like... These people bless these people, then these people turn around and bless these people, and then these people who are blessed by these people were blessed by another people who are connected to these people who are blessing. Like, the body of Christ is intended to be connected. It has to be this way. It's how God decided to reveal his goodness to us. Right? And you're like, oh, I don't need to be connected. Not only are you not listening to the Holy Spirit, but you are rejecting the primary way God desires to reveal his goodness to you. You get that? Like, God's like, I got all this good stuff for you. And you're like, mm, I'll take all of it that doesn't involve people. It's like, uh, that was my plan. That was how I chose to disseminate my goodness to the world. Like, no, I'm just going to read my Bible. Your Bible was written by people. Right? So you just can't escape your connection to the people of God. I've seen this thing happening not only in the scriptures, but in our church. Right? I can tell story after story of how the, like the connection of the people of God is awesome. Right? I even think of like Austin and Bella who teach our youth group. Uh, Austin and Bella were in our youth group. And before that, Bella's parents did Megan and I's premarital counseling. Right? So they invested in us. We then invested in their kids. Their kid, well, Bella got married to Austin and is now investing in my kid. Hallelujah. Right? One person clapped, but the rest of you, it was cool too. It's awesome the incredible things God can do when the eye doesn't act like it doesn't need the nose and the feet don't act like they don't need the hands. And the knees don't act like they don't need the lungs. God chose to reveal himself to this world by his word. And the Holy Spirit chooses to change lives through relationships with other believers. And it's foolish to think that we can claim to be led by the Spirit and yet never plan on engaging in those types of relationships where correction and confession and repentance take place and blind spots are given permission to be brought up. And here's where I'll finish. Jake, you can come on up. It's very possible that the blessing that our marriages are waiting for and the blessing that our families are waiting for and the blessing that our communities are waiting for and maybe even the blessing our city is waiting for is just waiting on us to be led by the Spirit and really connect with the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and uh, how it instructs us, Lord. And uh, I pray we would not uh, come to your words just to do better and be better, Lord, um, but to be led by your Spirit, uh, to receive from your Spirit. And Lord, we don't want to be a church or a people who doesn't practice what we preach so right now, we just ask your spirit to lead us, Lord. Lord, convict our hearts. 
if there's blind spots, may you put your finger on that spot, Lord. May you convict. If there's relationships that we've neglected and we need to be pouring into, may you open our eyes to that. If we never give time for confession and repentance, Lord, convict us of that. If there's nobody in our lives who has permission to tell us what they see, Lord, Lord, may we be open to your spirit leading us. Lord, I'm so grateful that you don't leave us like you found us. And you, uh, you put people in our lives to reveal your goodness to us, Lord. And I pray we would embrace that. Not only in the easy moments, but uh, when it's a little harder and more difficult, knowing that it's so necessary for us, Lord, to live the lives you desire for us. Lord, bless your word as it interacts with our heart, Lord. May it produce the type of change that you desire it to do in us. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand as we sing this last song.